0: Hey, I'm Stephen Povatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10, 15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. On staff meeting tomorrow morning, we're really going to talk about why we can't just do the adult giving that way, too, okay? And if I knew for sure that it would happen with the same figure, uh, we would 100% be doing that next week for Harvest Sunday, you know. Would you all spread down and do that, nearly knocking each other aside? Oh, may the Lord give us all such grace, right, that we are such... So happy about participating in generosity. Uh, Really, it's so fun. Kids, thank you guys so much. Y'all have lightened our hearts this morning. Let's pray together before we walk into the Word together. Oh, Lord God, we're grateful for the joy of our children. We're grateful for their generous spirits. And God, we pray uh, again that you would uh, help us to see what is in the heart of the child that may be in our own heart as well. We pray that you would be with us as we walk into the story of your word together today. May you teach us by your own hand, nourish us by your food. Father, give us just the thing that we need so that we may be faithful witnesses on behalf of Jesus, our King. In his name we pray. Amen. So this is the last of the Acts things for for me. I'm Uh, There's a lot more that I want to say about Acts, but all of these studies must come to their end at some point. When I study scripture, and I don't know if you feel like this, but I I have a list of grievances with the good book. um, And often when I'm studying a particular text, I come away with questions that I wish were answered or wish had some sort of resolution uh, and then it is a spiritual discipline to just get used to the fact that I don't get all my questions answered, right? I have questions about like the book of Job, for instance, like the way it ends. I almost wish that it left a little bit more uh, or ambiguity in the way it ends. With Job getting all his stuff back and Having, I'm more. T- I, don't, I don't understand how the ending of Job is supposed to make me feel any better about the rest of the story, right? Um, it just seems too easy and too tidy. And I know lots of people that undergo suffering that don't get ten times back at the end of the day, and it makes it just kind of drives me a little nuts. I would love to know more about what's going on with that story. We studied Proverbs earlier in the year. And the Proverbs has a lot of times makes it things a little too easy as well. And it kind of makes some things a little too tidy. And so when I read Proverbs, I just have to deal with the fact that there are a lot of Proverbs that I read. And I say, yeah, but, you know. And then the text, I'll look at it and it doesn't change in front of my eyes. I'm always astonished that it doesn't magically become what I think it should say. And I'm just kind of left to grapple with that. And to wrestle with it a little bit. We're studying Genesis in our Encouragers class on Thursday mornings, and there's definitely times in the study of Genesis as we walk through the story. There was a part this last week where we said, why is this one little element a part of the story, reading a part of um, the part where Joseph is going to go find his brothers who will shortly enslave him? And while he's on the way there, He goes to the wrong place and there's a random dude in a field somewhere that has to give him directions on how to find his brother. And I have so many questions about that little piece of the story. And it wasn't very clear what it's supposed to mean to us. The biggest question I have about the book of Acts is about the way that it ends. It ends in such a way to take the story and it's moving it along, it's moving it along. It is very much pointing in a direction. Paul has been given a task to go bear witness. And we see that the story is going through the different stages of him bearing witness to different groups. And the story rewinds to the place where it began, back to Jerusalem. If you remember at the very beginning of Acts, there was this, uh, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and telling them about what it will mean to bear witness for him, he tells them that they'll begin in Jerusalem and in the rest of Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. And Paul, who has already been traipsing around in some of those far places, uh, bearing witness to Jesus, Paul goes back to the center not so neat as to only go further and further and further and further away, Paul comes back to the very heart, bears witness in Jerusalem. If you were in classes the last couple of weeks, uh, we were reading parts where he is bearing witness there in Jerusalem at great personal cost, putting himself at risk in great peril. And he begins to bear witness there in Jerusalem. Back to the original starting line. And then the story is going to go that he'll spread out further and further. And he even receives a word about going to speak to the emperor. He, he, by the time uh, we are in these last few chapters of Acts, Paul is seemingly on a straight arrow path to go to testify to Jesus at the heart of the empire, to the very emperor himself. And yet, Acts has no chapter 29 where that actually takes place. Maybe there's, like we had Luke, which was part one of the story, the book of Acts, which is part two. Maybe there's a dusty cave somewhere that has the next part of the story uh, hidden for us. I don't know. But one of my biggest questions, the thing that I wrestle with most in the story of Acts, is why... Doesn't the story resolve? I mean, if it's your first time reading through this book of Acts, you would easily imagine by the time we get into chapters 25, 26, 27, you would easily imagine that it is heading for a final moment where Paul, who has stood before governors and uh, other leaders in the empire, that he'll have his moment where he stands before the emperor himself. And it seems like that's the trajectory, and historically the church, uh, what, we, what we know from history is that Paul indeed will have uh, his day, and he'll end up dying at the hands of the Roman Empire. And yet, Acts doesn't tell the story all the way out there. Instead, it moves us in the direction of that final witness, and it just leaves it open. I find that terribly unsatisfying. It's on my list of grievances that I'll forget the moment glory opens, Right? <laughs> It's the story about how Paul's witness, what what is here, is the story of how Paul's witness endures. How the witness of the gospel and what God is at work doing in Jesus moves and breathes and takes on new dimensions and, and begins to reveal new facets all the way through the story. And there are two images that I want us to hold in this last part of the book. There are two places that I think the Gospel or the, the, the Book of Acts is kind of giving us a hint about what it means to live in an unending story. To live in a story that endures and takes on new flavors and new facets as the story moves forward. The first one is in chapter 27, and I actually quoted this to you last week. I told you that there was a, a point where Paul has a vision. Remember last week we were talking about these words from God that he received? One of those words is where an angel comes and stands before him and tells him that he's going to stand before the emperor. Okay, But I didn't tell you the context of that, and it is one of the best stories in the book of Acts. Paul has been imprisoned, he's been uh, taken captive, and he has actually set a chain of events uh, in play which are going to lead him towards Rome. But while he's being transported, he has to not only go on horseback for some part of the journey, his, his guards are taking him, and some of that journey is on horseback, and then there are parts of it where Paul has to travel by ship. At one point in early in chapter 27, now we get uh, this, they are kind of the, the people that are taking him or are, are kind of at the mercy of the seas. You know, they can't book a flight immediately like they wish. And they're waiting to see if they can actually make the trip uh, across, I believe the Aegean Sea here, if they can make this trip on time or not. And the people that are transporting him, they want to rush. They want to go ahead and get on a boat so that they can get there sooner. They don't want to have to spend the winter there in the harbor that they're already in. And Paul advises them. Look in uh, chapter, chapter 27 in verse uh, 9 and 10 here. Since much time had been lost and sailing was now dangerous because even the, the fast had already gone by. Uh, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I can see that the voyage will be with danger and much heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Paul says, hey, maybe we shouldn't be in too much of a hurry here. If we take this trip, we're going to, leave. there's going to be incredible loss. He speaks to the business's owner's bottom line. He says, I don't, we're going to lose all this cargo. And then he says, and also our lives. So he's afraid of his life here, right? He's afraid if he goes on this ship that there'll be in seas. And he's just all an experienced traveler here, just is kind of reading the weather and reading, reading the time of year. And he says, it's dangerous to make this journey at this time. And you can make your own judgment reading in the verses there, whether you think Paul is speaking prophetically or not. Or is he just speaking out of his own wisdom? The text doesn't really tell us at this point. But as the story progresses, they go ahead and they put out to sea. And it says in verse 13, when a moderate south wind began to blow, they thought that they could achieve their purpose. And so that way the anchor began to sail past Crete close to the shore. But soon a violent wind called the nor'easter rushed down from Crete. And since the uh, ship was caught and could not be turned head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven. So things began to turn badly. And Paul here, of course, I'm sure was thinking to himself, what? What's he thinking? I told you so. I told you so. Now, but this is not the time to gloat. I told you so, right? You're going to die. I told you this is a bad idea, you know, scoring that one last point in the fight right before the end comes. They are so driven in this storm. Okay, look in verse uh, 18 and following. We were being pounded by the storm so violently Then on the next day, they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, with their own hands, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest raged, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Though not just, he doesn't have to say, I told you so at this point, because everybody in the boat thinks we did. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. And then listen to this. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. not to set sail for Crete and thereby avoided this damage and loss. But I urge you now to keep up your courage. For there will be no loss of life among you, only of the ship. For last night there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, and this is the line that I quoted to you last week, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor. And indeed, God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told, but we will have to run aground on some island. So Paul here receives a prophetic word from an angel that is different than the wisdom he had already shared. So just in the moment when he says, you should have listened to me, he also has to say, but I wasn't completely right about this. We are going to lose the cargo. That's our you already Threw that in the sea." but we're going to survive this, which is different than what he had said before. I love that little part of the story. There's some new revelation here. There's a new moment. These people who had abandoned all hope of being saved are now being told that the God of Paul is going to save their lives. And that's when Paul is told, I'm going to see you are going to stand before the emperor, right? Like you still have part of your witness to bear, you still have part of the journey to go. This isn't the end for you. And because it's not the end for you, the rest of the people traveling with you are gonna make it too. So that's the setting of, of that text. And then the story goes a little bit further. Okay, And the drama builds. It says that there are 14 days that pass while they're in this state. 14 days. That's a long time. That's a long time if you are on the edge of death, isn't it? But listen to this part of the story with me. I think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of the whole book of Acts. Read with me in verse uh, 33 and following. Just before daybreak, Paul urged all of them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been in suspense, and remaining without food, you have eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food. It will help you survive, for none of you will lose a hair from your heads. Now, that's just the setup. That's a great little setup. Hey, this is the last push. We're about to have to swim for it. You need a little food in your body. You need something to give you some strength, right? But then listen to how it plays out here in verse 35 and following. And when I read this, you tell me if it reminds you of something else. After he had said this, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it. And began to eat. What does that remind you of? Here, when the world is crashing down, Paul sets a table that looks a lot like the table of Jesus. It looks very much like the way Luke tells the story of the Last Supper. Which was a different kind of storm. But also a moment right before this kind of dramatic unfolding of events and danger. In which Jesus was giving his disciples just the thing that they would need. Not just the bread that they needed to get through a night. But the understanding that they would need to make it to the end of the story. Here, Paul has set a table, and it's an odd moment of communion, isn't it? Right in the middle of this fierce, terrible storm. That's one of the images that I hold with me here at the book of Acts. It's an image in which, even through the middle of the travel, we can acknowledge the saving presence of our God, even with a table full of soldiers who are taking us to go see the emperor. It's a place where Paul, imprisoned really, under guard, practices a radical hospitality with the very people who are taking him perhaps to his death. And his witness in that moment is, by my God, I know that we will live. That's one of the moments, the other moment that I want to highlight today here at the end is when Paul gets to Rome. And Paul makes it uh, through this shipwreck moment. There's more to that story. I would really love for you to read it and spend a little time in it. But Paul gets through that moment and he comes to the finally makes it to uh, Rome and the situation there is different than you might expect. Paul is under guard, but he's not going to be at this point in the story thrown into what we think of as a jail or a prison. Rather, he's kept under house arrest, and the way that it tells the story is pretty interesting, right? So, at the end of chapter 28, read with me in verse 23 and following. After they had set a day to meet with him, they came to him at his lodgings, in great numbers so what he's talking about i should have said this i I should back up a little bit look in verse 16 when we came into rome paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who was guarding him so he's essentially under house arrest right and while he's there we get this group of jews who come to visit him in verse 23 they came to uh, after they had set a day to meet with him they came to him at his lodging in great numbers and from morning until evening He explained the matter to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, uh, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said. Others refused to believe. So they disagreed with each other. And as they were leaving, Paul made one further statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors, to the prophet Isaiah, Go to this people and say, you'll indeed listen, but never understand. You'll indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they shut their eyes, so they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Let it be known to you then that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So ends the book of Acts. A couple parts of this I want us to kind of see that are so so strange and, and different here. Paul in in this story has finally made it to Acts, and what, uh, or finally made it to Rome, rather. And at the end of the book of Acts, at the end of this story, what's striking and weird about it is that he seems to be settling in. He seems to be in a place where this is just the way things are. And I'm telling you, like I said at the beginning of the sermon, this is one of my grievances with this book because I so desperately want to know what happens next. Don't you? And yet what we are left with is not not the resolution of the story, but we're left with two years of patient witness in what seems like the worst condition, confined in his house, and yet people are coming to him, and he's finding space to speak to them and to bear witness In this story, there's this a little bit of reversal of geography, by the way. So the way Acts has told its story, it's that Jerusalem was the center and everything sort of radiates out from there. And now Paul is at what the beginning of Acts called the ends of the world. Paul here just simply sets his table at the end of the world and just patiently speaks about Jesus to whoever shows up at the table. Not just about Jesus, Jesus specifically, but also this language is that it's about the kingdom, right? It's the story of how God has, in Jesus, asserted himself to bring his kingdom into the earth. that takes us all the way back to the beginning. The way that Acts ends calls my mind back to the way that it started, where Luke tells us in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. the day when he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen after his suffering he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God That's really what the whole story has been about. It's been about what it looks like for God's kingdom to come into the earth. And it's a table here, and it's a table there. It's a table in Jerusalem, and it's a table in Antioch. A table in Caesarea. In a table in Lystra and in Derby. And sometimes that table is in the jailer's house. And sometimes that table is on a boat in the middle of a storm. At the end, that table is in Paul's rented room. Waiting there at the end of the world or wherever God would send him next to bear witness. And at all those tables, what's the conversation? There are all kinds of recurring conversations that happen in our lives, right? I mean, man, you're going to talk with me and my family these days. We're going to probably talk about a couple of different things. We're going to talk about all the different stuff that our kids are involved in and all the driving around that we have to do. And you know what? We're probably going to talk about this doggone ankle surgery that I'm supposed to have this Tuesday, all right? Those are just things that we talk about right now. And you've got things like that too, right? The things that you just talk about one day to the next, the things that keep coming up. Maybe it's something in the news. Maybe it's something that's going on in your family. Maybe it's just an old inside joke that comes around all the time, right? At Paul's table, at Jesus' tables, the conversation always comes back to of God. It comes back to what it means to be people who live faithfully to what King Jesus is calling us to. Live under the reign of God, which is not an oppressive reign. It's not a reign of of, of sometimes terror like Caesar or Herod or the other rulers that Acts has shown us. But it's the reign of a benevolent God who chooses to shower of humanity with all the things that they need for life and the things that would fill them with joy. It's the king who has given them everything that they would need to come to life. Not a kingdom of death, but a kingdom of salvation. Just at the moment when it seems like all hope is lost. Acts, whatever else it is about is about what it looks like for that kingdom to take root in the world. Other thing that happens when we come back to the beginning of the story here at the end, that we can well note that weird twist of phrase that Luke uses to introduce his story. He says, in my first book, I wrote wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. In other words, the first story was about the beginning of the work of Jesus in the world. And this story, this book of Acts... We might be easily misled and we might too easily think that it's about the story of the people that followed Jesus. It's about the story of the people that came after Jesus. But my friends, the book of Acts of the Apostles is still a story about Jesus. It's about all the things, not that Jesus began to do and to teach, but it's about how Jesus continued to do, and to teach. And if there was a third volume that picked up where Acts 28 left off, it would still be about how the work of Jesus goes on. That the work of Jesus was not finished, at the gospel of Luke it came to its end, and the work of Jesus is not finished when Paul settles down, settles down in Rome or even when he speaks before the emperor. And the work of Jesus is not finished even today as you and I gather here, 6th and State Street downtown in, our, in Little Rock, Arkansas. The work of Jesus goes on and he continues to do, and to teach, and show us what it means to live as people of the kingdom of God. Isn't that good news, my friends? Who knows how many books have to be would have to be written to tell all the different ways that Jesus is acted in history. The book of Gospel of John ends with this moment. It says, "It says." Jesus said many things. He did many other things that were not even written down in this book. And John, the, the author, uh, kind of muses to himself, I suppose if everything that Jesus did and said was written down, then I suppose the whole world wouldn't be able to hold all the books. You may have read that and only thought that it was about Jesus' earthly life in the first century. And maybe that's the way he intended it. But I said, that the work of Jesus continues to be told. And the story of Jesus continues to be told. And all the things that Jesus does are not just things that happened 2,000 years ago, but Jesus is at work and alive right now. Writing out books and books and books. Giving witness through you or me, about what it means to live in the kingdom of God. I want to end this sermon series with an invitation. And I want you to know that if you're in this place and you've been over these weeks hearing what I hope you've heard as the witness about Jesus in these stories, I want you to know and I want you to hear me say as clearly as I can today that Jesus is calling you to join in his kingdom. And just like he called Peter and John by the sea and he called Paul on the Damascus Road and he called all these other people in the different stories that he, that he went to, calling even some of these soldiers in the middle of the sea and calling people in the, who are settling in the city of Rome in our story today. Jesus is calling you to, he bids you, come, come, take your part in his kingdom. Not just to receive the blessing of that kingdom, but to come and to be an ambassador of that kingdom. To see and then to bear witness yourself to what God is at work doing in the world. If you need to receive that message today and you want to begin your journey with Jesus, we would welcome you to do that while we stand and sing together.